This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Cameron here. Today on the show, actor, writer, and co-host of the Throwing Shade podcast right here on Earwolf. It is Brian Safi. Brian is somebody I've known for years, but this conversation involves stuff in his life that I had no idea about. I really love chatting with him, and I think you're going to love the episode. I also want to encourage you to come see me live um, in Burlington, Vermont, April 12th through 14th, in Nashville, April 18th, and in Huntsville, Alabama, April 19th. Those are the shows on my current tour that aren't sold out yet. Hey, you know what else you should do? You should buy Take My Wife. Ooh, and if you buy Take My Wife on iTunes, Amazon, or Google Play, you should, like, uh, tweet at me and Rhea about it because we are really excited about the show. And because of you, it's going to get a, you guessed it, worldwide release on iTunes. So, oof, boy, look what you did. Enjoy the show. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Away from me. Okay, I can see you. I just want to look in your eyes yeah. without a giant arm. Do you wear contacts or glasses or anything? Or are you just have great um, vision? No, I have contacts in. Do yeah. you wear? Uh, I know I wear glasses, so um, I but really only driving and that sort of thing. They're not too bad. Oh no, I have terrible vision. So I have like really serious contacts in, and then I yeah. wear like really serious glasses when I'm at home. If I have to like read off a prompter, I wear contacts, but it's like negative one point five. Like God, you know, it's congratulations. Nothing. Yeah, mine is negative nine point seven five. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is that is wild. Almost ten times. Yeah. <laughs> so know, you like when your glasses and contacts are no, up, I you're like, yeah, anything. you can't see anything. I can't see anything. Can you make out a shape? Yeah. So it's funny because I feel like, like for instance, Rhea actually has perfect vision. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, um, when I'm trying to describe what it's like, it is like, yeah, it's blobs. Yeah. And it's weird to have like blobs of color like that. Cause you see color, you know, I feel like it's right. like, <laughs> when you try to understand what somebody that can't, that has terrible vision, what that looks like. It's like, no, it's like, it's just, I guess it's like, if you're underwater, you're looking up through the water. What's crazy is I did immediately go to black and white. I right? really thought she must see in black mm-hmm. and white. It's just so crazy. I know that sounds <laughs> wild, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's different color blobs. So you can kind of tell what's going on mm-hmm. sort of because you've had it your entire life. You yeah. can kind of tell that that's a person and the other thing is not a person, right. but that's pretty much it. Well, I feel like we've already started, which is great. Great. Because I'm really happy to have you here. And you know, this is the thing that I do on Query. I have my guests introduce themselves. Yep. So would you introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, I'm Brian Safi, straight from El Paso, Texas, but gay. <laughs> You know what? Your physical delivery on that was so good because you kind of played with your hair and then looked up right at butt gay. And oh, good. I'm just sad that I'm the only one that saw right. that. But I mean, also, obviously, Ryan, not not like totally alone. But We're not completely alone. I'm just like sad that there is no yeah, like, there wasn't, direct live feed. It did feel like a multi-cam opportunity. It was nice. <laughs> Uh, Brian, we were just saying before we were like really recording that, you know, we haven't seen each other in a bunch of years. I feel like when I first got to L.A., um, you had Throwing Shade, which mm-hmm. is your podcast with Aaron Gibson. It's such a great podcast. And it was also like really in the first wave of podcasting. Like, yeah. Y'all were out there. 
Uh, it's been here a while. Making your waves. How long have you been doing that show? I think like five years. Yeah. About five or maybe even six. Between, I feel like it's six. It might because be six. I think that I moved out here five and a half years okay, ago. Okay, and then we were and already I doing it. I think you were already doing it. You're right. So it's probably been like six. Yeah. And a and you know, we have not seen each other in a minute, but I, I just know. remember moving out here being like, This is a person that's doing something that is like new media. What even is I this? I know, I know. I then it felt like there's no at the time too, it it also felt like, well, there's no way anything comes from this. Right. Do you know what I mean? This is just something we dump because we just are bored and want to try stuff out and that kind of thing. But I don't think any of us saw you like were a future in podcasting. Coworkers at Funny or Die at the time? We were at the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how you met and then decided to make a show we had met at ucb and so we had decided actually before we got to funny or die yeah we had worked on a show on a network called current that was al gore's network a long time ago and we wrote on a a current event show there do you know who sarah haskins is yeah totally okay so we we were it was her and me and aaron and and aaron and i i mean became very close and we started doing the podcast from that after that show got canceled so current funny or die and then having a podcast that's that's interesting because your career has very much been a part of, and then also having your guys' show was on TV Land. It was on TV Land, and, and then yeah, just weird. But all of that is very much in this realm that like we're all living in in the entertainment industry, which is like, hey, what is anything? You know, like mm-hmm. just like that. There's brand new places to work, bl- brand new, and that what you the lane you pick doesn't have to be the one you stay in. Like if you're a oh, writer, right. you can be an actor. If you're an actor, you can be a writer. If you're a host, you can be a writer. You could be an you know what I mean? It just you sort of do, which I like because I feel like for a while I tried the writer path, just the writer path, and it just wasn't satisfying for me. And so. I don't know. But but at the same time, it, do, it does all feel sort of like lateral move after lateral move after lateral move. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's exhausting. Yeah. It is. It is. It's exhausting to have yeah. all of these lateral moves. I think part of it is that there is no there, – there really are fewer uh, like big break moments available because, because of what we're talking about. It's like there's more – Small breaks. That's right. So you can you can move laterally pretty easily, kind of forever, doing a bunch of different things, which is creatively interesting. Yes. And fulfilling in a way. But it's harder to be like, I am now household name Brian Safi. And what's so funny is even like the people who you think do get those breaks. Like I met someone, I can't even remember this person's name, who's on like an ABC sitcom. And I had Absolutely. no idea. Right. Do you know what I mean? That just not made a mark on me. Not that it was their fault, but it was just, that's the world we live in. That just, you're right. Those breaks aren't what they used to be. So when did you come out here? When did you come I out came out to, to LA Angeles? in 2007. Right. So like I'm saying, like right in that same yeah. zone of really when things changed, because mm-hmm. if YouTube was starting in 2006 and Twitter in 2006, then 2007, you are, were out here for like this whole thing, this whole explosion. That's right. Why Why LA? Why did you first get out here? I knew that I always wanted to be here because I um, uh, I, I came from, from New York and a bunch of my friends had already come out here and I just knew like, you know – the fucking Hollywood dream business <laughs> thing. I wanted a job that would take me out here. So I um, found a thing with writing for the Grammy Awards. However, writing for all the, the events that were non-televised. <laughs> so that was like the paycheck that brought me out here that I wasn't very good at. But it gave me a reason to move out here. And what what had you been doing in New York? Every, I mean, like, oh, I had been... 
out of college, I became a company member in the Shakespeare Theater, which is what? Which is Where? In, what? It's the <laughs> I'm National Shakespeare. I know. On my coffee. It's the. You know, I what are you about saying to me? It's the <laughs> National Shakespeare Theater in which is- DC. And so I would go, I would, I lived in DC right out of college and then would come back to New York on the weekends. So I was working as an actor, but I mean, it was the, it sucked because everyone in that community is so mean. I mean, they're so, cause I wasn't a nerd that way. And they were, and so everyone was just like, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Everyone would just hate it, Meg. Were you the same, if, if you were, you must have been very young. Very young, yeah. So were you the same age as everybody? No. That's, I, I, the reason I'm asking that question is because right out of college, I got a job in Boston at like the top improv theater where I just like went to the audition and they were like, oh, I guess you're on the main stage. You're funny. And everybody else that was with me, they were actually perfectly nice to me, but they were like in their late thirties and had been like trudging through the scene, teaching improv, like gone through all these levels. And then I just like was funny at the audition. And suddenly I was there like cast member with them and didn't even know I had to buy shirts that went all the way to my waist line. Like, like I just had, I was wearing like for some reason, like crop tops. I don't know. Like I had to literally had to be pulled aside by the theater, the directors of the, of the theater company and be like, you have to wear longer shirts because we're seeing your stomach. Right. And it's weird. Like, like I just didn't know these things. So the, these poor people that were trying to do scenes with me were like, yeah, we have like families. Right. And I was like, oh, I have like no shirts that are long. You know, like, like, it was not so. I'm. I. That's why I asked the question about yeah. like age because I think that can really contribute to something like I would imagine this. The National Shakespeare Company. That's it was like crazy. The one. Yes. That's the one everybody's been working to get into. Here you are. And I think there was a lot a of resentment sprout. there. And yeah. And and uh, and I also just didn't. And probably maybe I don't know if you had a similar thing with with when you got in the main company of, your, of the Boston Improv thing, but like. There is, I think, when you're younger, there's just a, more of a carelessness. I didn't really, I was happy to have a job, but it wasn't like, this is it for me. You know what I mean? I was like, cool, I got a job. You know, absolutely. I don't care more than that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I miss that, yeah, that time. Me too. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess I didn't think about um, how hard other people had worked to get the equivalent thing because it had just happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that does really affect the way when you're trying to relate to the people you have to work with. If yep. you're like, no, I like been through a bunch of levels and was really deliberate about getting this job. And you're right. like, they I made a to, silly goof. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, it was, and it was exactly that because they, they would truly have to have someone uh, work with me every, like, I don't know how I got this job and explain to me what these stories were even about. Like, because I didn't understand, I, I haven't read a lot of Shakespeare. So I literally didn't understand so much of what I was saying that someone would sit down and be like, so this is what you're saying. Had you this is what this theater means. theater in college? Yes, but never major? really classical. Yeah. And I don't, it was, and I was auditioning for something that this company was doing later that was a Tennessee Williams thing. And they didn't cast me in that and instead put me in their season for Shakespeare, which was just, yeah. That's just like throw me in and That's try so to awesome and such a specific experience. Yeah. I'm so like sad that it was hard in the moment, but really glad that Me you have too. that for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'm. I can't even. So you were you were you were a theater major. Where'd you go to school? At NYU. Perfect. Yeah. So right. Yeah. Not necessarily a, a Shakespeare. No. Heavy. In fact, I was in like days. the experimental theater program. So like <laughs> sure. the absolute opposite right. of the classical right. theater. Like yeah. s- like tight stretch pants for but for like a different reason. A hundred percent. Like <laughs> d- being an animal every day and like you know what I mean. Like just I actually do. My little sister did like that kind of immersive. Yes. Theater stuff. Mm-hmm. And then weirdly, I became the, an actor. You know, like she right. is like lives in South America and is like doing her own thing. And wow. And I um. 
am an actor with absolutely no training. She yeah. was an animal for literally years of her life. She put in I, all the work. She was an animal for so many years wearing so much stretch pants. <laughs> and then I was just like, again, I guess I'm an actor now. I mean, I'm a stand-up comic, so... What do, you, do you want me to do other things? Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you say when people ask what, I mean, I know that obviously you're familiar face, but like, what do you say when people ask what you do? Do you say well, I'm a comic? I or? have a little bit of a gift because I can say stand-up comic and that's such a finite, specific thing to be able to right. say. Like people really know what that is. It leads to a, a lot of um, follow-up questions you don't want to answer. Like, tell me a joke. Of course. Like, you know, but um, what's nice about it is it's like a firm package. Yeah. As a, a firm package is a great thing to say. Um, no, it's a firm package. You could, it's a, a little, it's a small, it's a penis and balls. Um, yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's just like wrapped up in a nice bow as opposed to what I could say, which is like, oh, like actor, writer, personality. You know, like, which is what I yeah. say. That's tough. What do you, so what do you actually say? Well, it depends on who's asking. And th- this is going to sound jokey, but I, I don't mean it as, as that. Um, if, if someone like in an Uber is asking me or a stranger is asking me, I, a lot of times I say I work for AAA just because no one has any questions. Oh my God, and that's amazing. <laughs> the biggest mistake I ever made was saying I was a lawyer because – Everyone has questions. Right. Um, but usually- Like about their like the their personal legal needs. Yes. And they're like, okay, hang on. Let me pick your brain for some Exactly. Yes. And then it's like, no, I'm actually a terrible lawyer. <laughs> Don't listen to me. Like, I've lost every case. Yeah. I'm Noel Woods. Um, because I guess otherwise I say like, oh, I'm a comedian and an actor and I have a podcast. You know what I mean? And it sounds like lies. Yes. And it sounds- crazy. You know what I mean? It sounds like, oh, this is someone who hasn't figured out what they want to do. But I hate that question so much because I feel like I never have a good answer for it. Yeah, it's it's hard. I've, yeah. I have a lot of compassion for you on that because yeah. I think that stand-up comic does really answer it. And mm-hmm. it's such a big part of what I do, but it's also a small, it's a smaller part than it would have, again, like than it would have been, you know, if I was in the 80s, that's like all I would have done. I right. would have just been like a touring comic and now you can live in LA and have other opportunities. Like talking to you through through this microphone, which right. is right now, which is so great right now. So you are also uh, famously gay. Yeah. <laughs> By which I mean like the thing that I think you're most known for is throwing shade mm-hmm. and so much about, of it is just like you being immediately out. Right. You know, you're giving people the the context immediately. Do you ever do you ever have to do you have to come out to people anymore? It's been a while, um, but I it has happened. I mean, I don't know about necessarily come out, but like in the grocery store a few months ago, I got hit on by a woman, which um, was an interesting experience. But also, like, I, I, I actually, I would say. So my parents I, I, are very unaccepting of, of my homosexuality. Like, they hate it. They're very aggressive about it. To this it. day. To this day. Nothing has budged an inch for them. And, uh, like, years of com- years since coming out? <sighs> Fifteen. You know, it's a very long time. My siblings are wonderful. But um, so it always feels anytime I sort of – and it's been a few years since I've talked to them. But anytime I try to approach them or anything, it always feels like a coming out. It feels like a starting over kind of thing. And then, and then also there are so many people in my extended family who I just – because they're extended family, you just don't see that often, who know you're gay. And it would be strange for you when you see them to tell them you are because – they're practically strangers in your life, but it's sort of, fr- I got married a year ago and there were some people who came out of the woodwork that I'd never had this conversation with who like sent me a card and were like, I heard you got married and it was very sweet. Um, but actually going up to someone and saying like, I'm gay. It's been a while. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. On your nups. Oh, on thanks. On your nuptials. I had no idea what you're congratulating me for. I was like, thank no. um, yeah, that's Are you are married? Yeah, we're yeah, married. We yeah. got married, um, yeah, like two and a half years ago. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's been about a year and a half for us. How does that feel? Um, 
honestly, it's hard. I mean, it's it, it did make a it is, change. It is hard. It changes something. I don't know why. I felt like it changed something too. Yeah. Just the other day, I was talking to somebody who told me that they didn't feel that way, and I I was like trying to witness their moment mm-hmm. while completely disagreeing with them internally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I felt like um. It, it's not negative at all, but I, I will say that it does feel a lot more um, – it just feels a lot more substantial. It feels mm-hmm. like the decisions that I'm making really impact somebody and will continue to impact somebody. That's How does right. it feel different for you? I think in that way, in that um, you really you really have to be there for somebody and be – I don't want to say responsible for somebody because I don't think that's true, but I guess it just forces you to think end of life even. I mean, it really, it forces you to think like we're in this. Are we both sure we don't want to have kids? Like, I don't know. You just sort of rethink everything. And I think because you think, okay, we're in this for the long haul, I think the quirks become more annoying or something. Oh my God. Number one, (laughs) fair enough. Number two, is that what's been happening to me? Because I have been... I mean, and I've been putting it off to my age, but like in a utter panic about it also could be that like the job that we do for a lot of our life, because we're so we're such like weirdos because right. our job is so non-traditional that um, you just don't think about the things that are normative choices like yeah. marriage, family, house. You don't think I didn't think about those. Nor things did I for like maybe say the entire decade of my 20s. Like, mm-hmm. just literally never came up one time. Never one time was I like, I wonder if I'll ever own anything, yeah, even no. a couch, or like a jacket or anything. Like, never I just like never it. thought about it. So then um, got married, and it felt like it hit me all at once. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how am I going to get a house tomorrow with a baby in it? You know, like, it, it felt very That's overwhelming. So, you're absolutely right. I had never, and specifically with what you just said about the house, I had never cared or thought about it and had seen, and I'm sure you have too, everyone around me buy a house, and it almost killed them. Or so it seemed. Yeah. And I just thought like, you know, we have a great deal here. Da, da, da. And then we got married and instantly I was on Zillow. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I do. I spend money. I mean, I also think maybe because, so you were out here a little bit earlier than I was and you were also in like the writing side of things a little yeah. bit. So that people get paid good money to write. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my friends, because I really came in through stand-up, like stand-ups are fucking poor right. until they're not. Like it really is like, it happens like, almost in a day. Um, and so you can work for like pretty much it's like 10 or 15 years with like you're getting drink tickets. And so that's another reason that it never came up is because then I moved out here and stand-ups can have other jobs here and those jobs can bring in money, like writing jobs. And so suddenly I was like, wait, my peers have like cars and stuff? I like I was like riding high on the hog in yeah. Chicago, just like don't mind if you do get into my Honda CRV. You do have to exit – and enter through the trunk because the doors don't open, but it's a car, you know, like I was, <laughs> I was like doing great. I live in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, so it's interesting to try to just catch up real quick. I think part of it being gay person catching up real quick, part of it being like the jobs that we have catching up real quick. And it is, it's, it's, it's almost, it is, it almost hits you so hard. Like you said, because you don't grow up. I never grew up thinking I would get married or even have a boyfriend or even be out. Like I, I know those were three things I never thought would happen in my life. And, and so then when you get those things and pretty quickly, I mean, marriage is a new idea for, you know, legally, uh, it does sort of hit you like a truck. And so I, I can't say that this past year and a half has been bliss, but it, it hasn't been, again, it hasn't been awful. It just isn't, you know, it just isn't bliss. Well, I feel like – I hope that you have this experience too. It it has also been 
like really exciting. Yes. I love things. <laughs> I have a stupid personality where I really like when things are hard because it feels like they're they must be important. Then mm-hmm. this is just being Catholic. This is just growing up Catholic. You're like if something is difficult, it's valuable. Right. So <laughs> there is a part of adding this to my relationship that has actually felt like really cool. And Definitely. So I hope that the like struggle and strain has has also made you feel like. I don't know, like some import to what you're doing. Definitely. And also I will say like it is it is more incentive to really work through something than I've ever had before. Like oh, yeah. to really see something through, which I think – and also to like <laughs> – be cool and to really to really do the best you can to be the best person you can be because you're not go- no one's going anywhere at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I feel like that's something that I also didn't know going into marriage is that I would have a lot of weirdness about myself. Like I always thought that I would end up with someone and be like, "Oh, I can't believe I'm stuck with you." But I'm more like, "I'm sorry, you're stuck with me." Like that. <laughs> I, 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 it has like really rattled some of my. There are times when, so my husband's name is Derek. There are times when, like, I'm at the we're at the gym or something, or, or anywhere, museum, anything. I just didn't want to sound quite so on the nose. Gym, a museum. <laughs> yeah, the look, how tall, look how look how tonight. Well, I'll look at a guy and I'll be like, "That's who he should be with," and I'll think, I'll think like. That guy would make you so happy instead of being with a, you know, because he's not in this world instead of being with a crazy person. But that's so funny that you think that too. Yeah, I'm yeah. always like, I'm so sorry that this is what this is what life dealt you. <laughs> I lucked out. Yeah, I mean, what I guess that's maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, like you said, maybe it keeps you motivated to stay rad. Yeah, it's definitely something that was unforeseen. I don't know, especially in my past. Sometimes I've been a real asshole in relationships. And like, Me too. And just like, oh God, like I could take or leave you, you know? And now suddenly to have this shift where I'm like, you're burdened with my with my idiosyncrasies. Yep. You know, like it's it's been a real, uh, it's been a real come to Jesus moment. I don't know why I'm talking so much about Jesus today. It's stuck in my brain. I can't get Jesus out well, of But we're only, brain. when's Easter? This weekend? Who knows? Yeah, it's coming right up. And I, that's I probably right what it is. Yeah. Today's episode of Query is sponsored by Everly Well. Truly, finding time to get a lab test can be hard. Not to mention you have to figure out where to go, what your results mean. Well, now you can order the tests you want at everlywell.com. Everly Well, E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L, is an at-home testing company that offers a variety of tests from food sensitivity to metabolism to an at-home STD test. Yes, you can test for STDs at home. That's what I love about Everly Well. For folks that listen to Query, I know that sometimes it also is stressful to go into a doctor. Maybe your gender identity is something that has give, the medical field has given you pushback, but I want you to stay safe. So this is an option for you. Every test is physician reviewed, private, simple, processed through a certified lab. All you do is head to everlywell.com, choose your test, and they'll be shipped to your doorstep. Once you collect your sample, you send it back to Everlywell's service certified lab partner and get your doctor-reviewed, easy-to-read results online in days. It's convenient. No more sitting in waiting rooms, no more mystery bills, no more waiting on your results. Head to everlywell.com, use promo code QUERY to take 15% off your first order. That's everlywell, promo code QUERY for your for 15% off your first order. Take control of your health with Everlywell's at-home health tests. Your time, 
your tests on your terms. Hey, Queeros, Cameron here. Awesome news. So when Query came over to Earwolf, our new home, where you are listening to the show now, we also brought, Rhea and I being we, my wife Rhea Butcher and I, we also brought our long-running stand-up show, Put Your Hands Together to Earwolf. Put Your Hands Together is 75 minutes of stand-up scene live here in Los Angeles at the UCB Theater. We record the show every Tuesday night in front of a live audience. Many of you Listeners to this show have even come flown to LA to sit in the audience. I know because I've met you after the show. I love doing Put Your Hands Together. We've been running the show for about five years. One thing that I really like about it is it's an opportunity for folks who live all over the world to listen to stand up from comics that might not come to their town and certainly don't come to their town all at once. And these folks just live in LA or are passing through LA. It is an opportunity for you to figure out like, what's next, who's coming up next, or to hear from some of the brightest stars in comedy. Sometimes folks don't want to put their stand-up set on the podcast, and so I have like a backstage chat with them, and you get to hear a little bit more about the process of what it is to do stand-up. Anyway, I think it's freaking funny. Folks like Bob Odenkirk, Jenny Slate, Paul F. Tompkins, Joe Firestone, and a bunch of awesome queer comics. Comics like Sabrina Jolie's or Emma Willman, people that you might not know by name, but that you will love. And please check out our show. Put your hands together on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or whatever, or wherever you get your favorite shows. In joie. Um, so I also want to go back to you talking about, so you said that you didn't think you would ever come out. And then obviously also I'm not glossing over the parent stuff at all. Yeah. Um, you knew what was, you self-identified? I didn't really until much later. I think I, I think I knew young. I, I just said two completely opposite things and I'm trying to work it out myself. I knew very young that I was not attracted to girls. Yeah. But that I liked guys. Um, I don't think I th- – I think even at that age, I thought it was probably a phase or at least hoped it was. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know. I, I never um, – I never was attra- – I've never been attracted to women ever. I also fully understand uh, having a feeling and not assigning that feeling meaning because that mm. was my experience. Okay. Is that, like, I was really into my friends and I was um, into the dudes that I was dating, like – in a different way as friends. Okay, so But I I didn't extrapolate that out to anything. I have to say that I never also that's that's right on because I in in high school even, I never was longing to have a boyfriend or even I was satisfied with my friendships and my relationships, or so I thought, you know, that could have all just been really pushed down. But I didn't I mean obviously there was a lot I wasn't expressing, but um I sometimes feel like I was Dunted in a way of with sexuality of just like I didn't even think about sex until like very late. What was where do you think that was coming from? I don't know because I didn't I didn't masturbate for the first time until I was nineteen. Oh my god, dude! Straight up, <laughs> honestly, my late twenties. Really? Yes. Because yeah. I didn't. I, honestly, the other thing is like I the biology that I have. Nobody ever like told me. Sure. If you have a vagina. You should, like, check this out. Yeah. Like, I literally just didn't know until I, like, was dating women who were like, I've been masturbating till I was, like, four, since I was, like, four. Right. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought this was, like, some sort of, like, fringe behavior. <laughs> <laughs> like some I mean, weirdo. Just, yeah, just like, all right, masturbate. Like, I don't know what I thought, but I thought that people with penises did and yeah. the people with vaginas didn't. So, again, it's, like, 
thank God that I had great sex ed as a child, which was none. You know, so like, same, right? So thank God I like fully understood bio, like biologically what was supposed to happen. For yeah. Me. No, but you weren't. Ni- you were nineteen. Nineteen. That is unusual for somebody that has your biology. I know. Uh, because <laughs> I would get myself right to the edge and then be like, "I'm gonna die." And I would just like <laughs> stop. I'd be like, "No, this can't go any further." <laughs> um, and also, I think even just that realization, because I think when I was fantasizing, I was fantasizing about guys. Like I was aware enough to know that. Um, but yeah, I would take myself right to the edge and then I wish I could remember the first time I came more than I do. I don't remember it at all. Oh, I think I know I think I know for myself, but I'll I'll share it with you okay. privately. <laughs> was I'll, it great? I'll DM was it, it good? To you. Um I just remember like it was again, it was actually somebody else. I was with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I wasn't by myself. Um and like you said, I was actually I was super scared. Scared, yeah. I was like this is like, you don't understand. Like everything's going to go, like I'm, I'm going to explode and shit my pants. Just totally. Like, that's like, what I, I just thought. had like no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> that's what I and then I was just like, oh, it's just like fine. It's like fun and fine. I remember literally thinking like something's happening. Like <laughs> this is not normal. Something terrible's right. happening. Yeah. So that was like in my, that was like around the same time you're talking about 19, yeah. like similar time where I was just like, oh my, like, uh-huh. like I can't believe that this is, a, that this is what people have been doing. Yeah. That this is possible. Also, I was scared of it because I think. In any representation, soap opera, anything, it, 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 when people moaned, I always thought that meant pain. So I never, I never wanted to go there. All right. Yeah. Like, like wow, you are tough to yeah. get through this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I talk, thought it took a lot of strength. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And your family, what, what are your folks like? My parents are um, – my dad found religion later, which I always think is not great. I think I think because it's like when people convert or something, they go so hardcore and right. really go. I mean, they're evangelicals. I guess you could call them. Um, my mom is a uh, my dad's a lawyer. My mom's a musician, and very smart, cool people who just there's just it's like arguing with a dining room table when it comes to the Bible, especially when it comes not to the Bible but to certain things that they just take. They're literalists. So they they look at the Bible very literally and don't interpret from it. So there's nothing you can do. I mean, there really is nothing you can do. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's tough. I I don't know if we ever even talked about this. I don't know if you know, like, my situation at all. But I was raised super Catholic, and then I was – went to Catholic school my whole life. I was a theology major in college and I was, like, really into it. Yeah. You know, I thought it was, like, rad. And um, so one thing that always I find confusing about that – and you know you could correct me if you're wrong if if I'm wrong about your your folks not your parents specifically but like that mentality is like okay so you're not reading it in the language that it was written right like they're not right? no 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 like no, they're no. not reading it okay so they're not reading in the language it was written um, with any context from the actual time that it was written correct none and they're not like doing additional research to figure out like different ways this could have been translated no um. Because, like, there are a lot of things that are not in the Bible. There are missing books. There are, like, words that are interpreted to mean this in one version and this to mean something else. There are obviously, like, additions that have happened not just, like, in our lifetime. I mean, even in our lifetime, many additions. But, like, I'm talking about – Centuries. Like, like England – Interpreting the Bible to mean one thing because they're it served their like, purpose. Yes, because they're like doing colonialism right. onto the world, and they need to like take this book with them right. that says a certain thing. It's like basically a game of telephone. The Bible. It's a huge yeah. game of telephone. It's like this is what we ended up with through a lot. And by the way, I, I'm not um, an irreligious person, and I think if religion works for you, that's fantastic. But I I do think you are dead on with the literal thing. It's just. 
how can you even do it that way? Well, I think that, I mean, I guess it's none of our other, we don't put that restraint on anything else in our lives. Mm -hmm. We don't ask, um, first of all, we don't ask our bodies not to, I mean, we try to get our bodies not to age, but we, we are like constantly evolving. We're taking new information in. We're trading in our phones for better phones. We're like updating our cars. We use words this year that we didn't use last year. Like everything moves forward and in a, in a progression. And I, I don't just mean like, obviously somebody who is a biblical literalist might have a hard time with evolution. So you right. could literally just be like, there are words in the dictionary. <laughs> like I use a turn of phrase that like, I mean, like if I said, if I said like on fleek today, you'd be like, why are you saying right. that <laughs> phrase? From like 2014. Yeah. Like, why are you? Because that's from the past. You if know? someone said that, I'd be so uncomfortable. Right. Can you imagine that's, if someone said that? You'd be like, what are you doing? So like we have that, you know, amount of pressure that we put on ourselves to stay current in all of these other regards. I mean, there, there's a huge overlap between like that kind of person and like a sports fan. Yeah. I mean, you're not cheering for last year's team. You're cheering for the people that are playing now. So it's just it's totally bizarre yeah. to me. It's that, very isolated. That you're somebody right. would try to freeze like only one thing and not want to actually expand it because they are beautiful stories. Yeah. And so, so many faiths have beautiful stories because like they were written by people who are trying to understand being alive. Right. Which is still what we're trying to understand. It's like what Twitter is, is us being like, how are we alive? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. what we're always trying to do. Yeah. So it just feels to me like what we are doing as people is like constantly trying to add more information and up our game. I don't understand freezing something in time like that. And I think that with that, um, with that comes a lifestyle. You know, I think that's how you also have the perspective of you don't change anything. The younger generation is always worse than the one before. I mean, that is how they think, you know, that like young people are terrible. Their grandchildren will be, are doomed. And you know what I mean? Like every administration is worse than the last, except for this particular one, which is better because they get how, you know, how the good old days and how great that used to be. And so I think when you are stuck in a certain time capsule, especially when you read the Bible a certain way, it, 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 that is your point of view for everything. You just stay stuck. Yeah, man. I'm really sorry that you have to deal with that. Oh, thank like you. from I one re- human to another, I really thank that you. really sucks. It does. I mean, it does. And I, I'm I'm glad you approached it that way because it does make people uncomfortable when you when they ask and they're like, oh, if, do your parents like Derek? And it's like, oh, they've never met him. Oh, why? Because of this. And they're like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be okay. And I'm like, no, it never will be. It, it never will be. And I'm. I can't say I'm cool with that. I'll never be cool with it. But like, you know, I'm as good as I can be with it. Well, yeah. You, number one, don't be cool with it. I yeah. think that seems like a, that to me seems like a solid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who could be cool with it? A solid approach. Yeah. But I will, I also think it's, I mean, that's kind of what I'm trying to create with these conversations is like this, this thing that you have right now in your life, the life that you have, many people have that experience in their own lives. Yeah. We we do have this push, the like it gets better push, um, often talks about family re- uh, family of origin resolution. Like that's a, and I'm not, I don't mean the it gets better project TM. I'm not saying like that's what they're no, pushing. No, right. But this general idea of like, you're going to march through the world and things are going to get better for you all the time as a queer person. I think that that involves a bunch of narratives. Like you're going to come out, out to your parents and they're not going to be okay with it. And then they're going to come around, which by the way is my story. Good. My, I, my, my parents were not okay with it and then did come around, but it is not everybody's story. I mean, mm. it's, it's not um, a lot of people I know story. And I think it's really important to talk about like what's really happening in our community, which is that like your parents are choosing, um, 
<laughs> frankly, between you and I, like the wrong path. Like they should be supporting you. I fully agree. And what's <laughs> and I, this is really the power of, I guess, the Old Testament is, um, I mean, even their They've been to therapy for this, and even, like, the priest at their church has been like, you have to move past this. So, in other words, it's not even their church that um, is really sticking to this. It really is they're on a path, but it's not my grandparents, it's not my cousins. It's really the two of them are on this path of – and it's it's the thing I've tried making the point. It doesn't really matter, but the furthest I ever got with them was saying sort of, I know that in all of this, you're concerned about the afterlife, Still alive, though. So just don't worry about it. You're not going to change anything. Like, let's just be cool now. And then, like, you can, in your head, you can think, you could just <laughs> picture me burning in hell for, for eternity. In your head, fine. But, like, let's just be fucking cool, dude. But it just isn't going to happen. Do you think that they, their goal would be that you that you change? I think their goal would be that because the 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 thing the line is always I wish you were this is what they say to me. This drives me crazy when people use words like this for the wrong reason. Brian, we wish you were open-minded enough to be celibate. Is what they say to me. They go, "We understand that you're not open-minded enough to be with a woman, but we wish you were open-minded enough. You're a liberal." Wouldn't it be a liberal idea to just not have, like, literally, that's what they say. And so, and, and at that point, you know, your head, you're just full fucking Regan from The Exorcist spinning out of control that it almost makes you powerless because you're just like, how do I argue with this, you know, lamp? Where are they getting that idea from? Do you know? Like this idea that celibacy would be a Paul, better path from you? From Paul the yeah. Apostle? Yeah. yeah. From there. I mean, again, speaking from the perspective <laughs> of my own church— do they know that – I mean, that you, you, when you talk to them and you talk about, like, how celibacy works out for people, uh-huh. I mean, the general thing is that it, it doesn't because, right. like, we're animals that are drawn to warmth, literally to, like, prevent death from exposure. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then also, like – These are people who write their own rules every day about – and it is so important, and this is, I feel, like, emblematic of that entire generation or at least the one that leans right – um, they rewrite the rules every day in ways that only benefit them and in ways where Absolutely. they can come out ahead and also at the end of it are right. And so it it would be such a gigantic leap for them, even less than, I don't know what it is, but there is just something about them that they can't be wrong about something and they can't, Evo- they just will never evolve on on really any issue. I mean, they're very yeah. concerned. They've, they've stayed the same the, the right. entire time I've known. No, I, I hear that. I really hear that. I also just want to clarify that, like, it's not that all human beings have to be partnered and married and, like, everybody has yeah. to have sex. But I, I think it's, like, we cannot destroy our nature. That's literally, I think, the the thing that I'm saying. So whatever your nature is is what you should do. And Definitely. there are certainly people who, like— are not going to be partnered and who don't want to have sex and all these things. And I, um, yeah, I'm sorry that, that your folks feel like they should have a say in your nature. That really yeah. seems like a load of horse shit. I know. Wow. So how do you deal with that in your marriage? Um, Anything that you're, that you feel comfy sharing? Cause yeah, I don't want to yeah. like push you oh, to yeah, a, please, I don't. Too, too personal zone, but I feel like this in my marriage, my, our, parents have very different relationships with us, very different relationships with each other, and it is hugely impactful in the way that Rhea and I relate. So I wonder, at this situation, if it impacts your marriage. I think it does, a lot, actually, because um, I think it, 
I think it leaves us feeling isolated a little bit and uh, untethered or something. And I think, I think we wish we we had more of a family supporting us or something. And and I don't want to like I hate when people lay blame on things that are outside. And I mean, the, the relationship is our responsibility, but I think we do wish that we had like a, a really solid foundation and, and a, a, a part of ourselves to share because there's an entire, however many years, 20 something years that, you know, I sort of just ignore in my relationship. And I think it's impacted it a lot. I think he wishes my relationship was better with my family because I think you're just you know, I think it'd be easier for him. I don't. I feel like I'm not being very clear. No, you're being really clear. Okay. Actually, you really are. Because again, like I said, this narrative that we're taught again is like, okay, so it doesn't work out with our family of origin. Then we go out in the world and we put ourselves out there, which is something that I know you have done. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't be, right. you know, more clear about who you are. And I know you have a community of very close friends. Like yes. you're not somebody who hasn't tried and I think it's important to talk about that like there's still a limitation to that like a, totally. like a human limitation because you're a person and I wouldn't change any of it for the world I truly wouldn't My, I've, I've cultivated just truly the most marvelous relationships and I feel that I have become the person I am because of it and, and I do wear my heart on my sleeve and and I'm so proud to be gay and I'm I'm so excited for this next generation and everything like that. But of course it impacts your own family when your family history is that fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean we just we just I think we just have to talk about this in a real in a real way because I think that, you know, we also are in this zone right now and I don't know if you feel this way where like for some reason so now we're so like a year ago or two years ago, I wasn't like supposed to talk about my life because it was like too gross. Okay. And then now, I mean like culturally. Okay. And then now I'm like, I'm not supposed to talk about my life because it's like too accepted. So right. So we went, we went, <laughs> totally. right, we went right from like too gross, like don't bring it up to just like, you're like making us all uncomfortable just to like, we're too comfortable. Like, totally. and I feel like we completely skipped the whole zone where we got to tell our own stories and yeah. talk about the way that like that this larger culture has affected us. So like, even if your parents are making up this thing for themselves and they don't have the support of their priest, like they still got this from our general culture. Mm-hmm. Like, our, like our general culture is still like, well, this is a thing people do. You know, people have a problem with their gay son for their entire life. Like, and and we don't, you know, your story is missing from this, like, actually, it's all fixed. Right. It got all fixed overnight. We don't even need love, Simon. Like, yeah. it's all fixed. <laughs> right. No, it is. It's it's funny because I think, I think, and we talk about this on During Shade a lot, like, there is a perception that even for, uh, that first of all, that kids have it very easy now if they come out that that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Huge. And continues to be a huge deal. Maybe in... The West Village and maybe in at the elementary school at the Castro, it's not a big deal. Do you know what I mean? But I would say for most of the country, even in major cities and suburbs, it is still a very big deal. Yes, macro, things have leapt like crazy. It's a different world. It's a different, better world in, in on a macro level. But when you really look at 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 something in a very small way, I don't know, growing up in El Paso, Texas, that in 2018, I'd be any more comfortable coming out in high school now than I would have then. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that it's like, okay, so then it, it can be comfortable. And then what about that kid who does go to like the middle school in the Castro or whatever you just said, who um also has straight parents. And so therefore, like, is growing up fundamentally different yeah. than the parents who are showing that person how to operate in the world. Mm-hmm. So like, there's still 
huge oh. and also you're a minority yeah like so i just mean it's i think we, we talk about we talk about um we have to celebrate our positive change but it's also like well it seems like you're not paying attention to anything that's actually happening. We're only happening. just <laughs> scratching the surface of even putting any sort of LGBT sexual education in schools at all. And that's not even state by – I mean, that is state by state. That's like school by school. Or like straight up sex ed for anybody. Right. I mean, I grew up in a place where there was no sex ed Same. for anybody. And so like my straight sisters were like just as out on their own trying to figure it out as I was. And I think, you know, the – I mean, and I know I know how much work Throwing Shade does in this area, but it's like you, you have to talk about th- – this all has to intersect. Like you have to talk Definitely. about how it affects women to never have sex ed and to have only sex ed be about like maybe you get to put a condom on a banana. Like right. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand how like the long game and all of this, especially when it comes to like especially that, like sexual education for um, – women who identify as straight is like, and for men who identify as straight is, isn't the end goal for everyone just not to have a baby? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, or at least in like, high school. To like a little, like for a little bit. Exactly. Like a short term, no baby. It's so crazy that we're still, cause I remember growing up, the big thing was like, do we talk about condoms in schools? That that question is still on the table. Oh Th- yeah. They, people still don't know how, what to do with that. And, as far as like LGBT sex education goes, it's, it is practically non-existent. In, Al- in a state like Alabama, by the way, it's still written in their in their uh, education code that homosexuality is illegal. So if they in Alabama, if you teach anything about homosexuality, you have to do it with a caveat that it's illegal. And in Texas, if you t- speak about homosexuality in schools, it only you can only do it in a negative light. So. To to say that these problems have been solved is is so far off. Except that yes, strides have been made, but you really have to consider we're only just beginning to understand how to set up LGBT kids for a future and to be confident people. Like that is only just beginning to where society is doing that, and only just barely. Yeah, and adults. Yeah, and adults. Yeah, because I you know there's still so many folks that I consider myself so lucky because my. My whole job is like predicated on the fact that I'm gay. Like, yeah, like I just mean like you literally already know that before I sign some sort of contract with totally. you. I can't be fired for you figuring this out. I can't lose my housing because like literally just do a quick Googs yeah. and you'll <laughs> yeah. immediately know. So so I'm very protected. There and is actually, relief in that. That's You're right. part of the reason I started doing this job Like because I had originally started in improv, like I said. And then um, I switched into stand-up so I could speak in the first person so that I could like actually – start to work on my own safety so that I didn't have to come out to people one by one. It was like, I'm telling hundreds of people at a time so that I, um, you know, just don't feel like so scared in the world. There is safety in that. I, I, I don't know if I've, um, if it's been at the front of my head, but I I think I did the same thing deliberately. I think, I think, I, really when Prop 8 happened is when I really, everything sort of galvanized for me and I was like, no, this is such horseshit and and all that. But I think there is safety in, in everyone just knowing immediately there's no hiding yeah, at all. It's, and that's lovely. It is lovely. Yeah. It's nice to be inside of that. I agree. It's that like when really someone good... calls you in for an audition or when someone calls you in to host something, you're like, you know the deal. Great. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's 100% real. Yeah. How, so El Paso, have I been there? I feel like I went... I feel like I, no, no, I, no, San Antonio, that's where we were. Oh, sure. Um, I have never been there. You know, I really enjoyed growing up there. I didn't, I say that. I, I, I had good friends there and it's a cool, it is a city that leans left. Uh, and in Texas, that's, you know, not too common. So that was cool. Um, and uh, we had like, 
I remember uh, when I was growing up, the mayor there, her name was Susie Azar. And I was like, could not believe that a woman was running the city. Like, I remember <laughs> even then being like, because I remember my dad being like, I can't believe she got elected. Da, 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 da. And I was like, I, that's all that it took. And I was like, I love her. Like, it was, <laughs> she's like, wow. So this is like a totally radical thing. And, um, but I had fun growing up there actually. Because also we could go to Mexico there. You could just walk over the border, which was kind of oh, fun. wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you had to drive to the border, but then you no, could No, right. I'm it. just imagining. I didn't know where El Paso was. Yeah. So you said that. Right now between I figured New Mexico it out. and Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, it was and fun. And your, your experience, like, as a kid. Mm-hmm. So what did, what did folks think of you? That I was gay. And <laughs> for sure. There was a big, the big, like, crowning moment of me realizing that I needed to tone it down or that something was wrong was at a birthday party and everyone had ordered milkshakes and gotten chocolate or vanilla and I ordered strawberry and I remember the mothers gave each other looks. And I remember that oh night, my, my parents God. said to me, next time will you just order like vanilla or chocolate? And I remember something clicking, like I think I did something wrong. Like I did a girl thing. And that same year or around that same time or maybe it was the Halloween before I asked to be the Pink Panther and it was like, full meltdown at my house. And then I also asked for a pink birthday cake and it was like, and I didn't get those things. But I remember the looks from the moms of like, yup. And that's, I think when I started hiding was right after that of like control it. Yeah. I mean, I, that feels, that feels reasonable to be like emotionally invested in what flavor milkshake a child Can you imagine? I mean, it's so wild. It's wild and so predictable at the same time. Yeah. Like it's so, it's just, mwah. but you know, the other thing that's true, and, and I don't know if this is, and I've talked about this on Query a bunch, like, I think that, I think that for people that are uh, cultured females, so people that grow up um, as girls, there's like a little bit of a different uh, flexibility in some of that stuff. Like I was looking back on it, maybe. Those looks were happening, but I didn't see them. I was just kind of like being Garfield for Halloween when everybody else was a princess, like a fifties poodle girl, scooter, oh, or yeah, like a, yeah, a yeah, princess, I remember or those, yeah. being a pirate when everyone else was a nurse. And then, like, there was one year, and I've talked about this on Query, where um, there was like a school play, and it was about Christopher Columbus. That was like the content. So like. At the time, I didn't understand right. that this was not somebody that one should want to right. be, to celebrate. <laughs> um, but Christopher, it was like it was called "In Quest of Columbus." Christopher Columbus had like two lines, but the name Columbus was in the title of the play. So I was like, "This is the star of the play." Yeah, is Christopher Columbus? Yeah. So there were open auditions, and I just went by myself, like without talking to my parents. I just went and auditioned for Christopher Columbus because wow. I was like, "That's the star of the play," and like also I get to wear cool boots and. They let me be Christopher Columbus. I was the only girl that auditioned. Like, for sure. Because there were girl parts. Like, yeah. like I literally can't even imagine how these teachers were— That must were. have blown their minds. I Can you believe it? No. And also that they were like, okay, I mean, I guess you can just be Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Like, I, like, it was so—and I feel like um, sometimes—this isn't across the board, but sometimes— a little girl that's doing like that gender bendy stuff can get like some positive reinforcement mm-hmm. because it's like, wow, she's like brave or powerful or whatever. Where like in your case, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say you're probably not going to get positive reinforcement for wanting to have no. a pink birthday cake like ever. And like, also I just feel just like that's a very rare thing. Even just boiling it down, especially to that generation of like men are better than women. So you're acting like a boy. Good. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? 
Well, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely the root yeah. of all homophobia. Totally. Like, why would you want to be a woman? Exactly. You're a man. Why would you want to be a it's woman? Ex- ex- so it's misplaced you're misogyny. Exactly. exactly. It's the same fucking Have thing. Have we never talked we about just, this? No, we're on the same page. I, that's 100% real. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. really just like, yeah, the, 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 the hatred of anything feminine. Yes. It's disgusting. And, and, and that's why, like, when men have a, talk about their fear of sexual assault, it's always coupled with, like, this will happen to me in a way where I will be feminized. Right. And this will happen to me, like, at prison. And this will be this will be something that will make, makes, makes me feel like a woman. And that's just such a different relationship yeah. with that than what women have, which mm-hmm. is, like— a very broad spectrum of things like the idea that there's a, and that's not even including the types of men like the, those aren't the stories we're hearing right now in the, in the me too movement. That's right. not like what we hear, but the prevailing like fear is like, don't make me a woman against my will while I'm in prison. Like yeah. that, that's just boiled down to as like dude's, weakness. Dude's biggest fear. Yeah. I mean, trust me. Uh, when you do stand-up comedy, you hear a lot about what people's fears are. And I will just say, like, throughout the 10 years that I've been doing stand-up, that's like, running thing. that's the fear. Is like, this is going to happen to me, and this is how it's going to happen. It's going to make me a woman. And, um... Wow! Boy, I, I feel like that's a really big fear to carry with you. Yeah. For men. Like, I think that's... That must be so stressful on a daily basis. <sighs> do you still have that at all? Like, um, in your body? Do you worry about being perceived as... As feminine? Because I know that's something that, like, I know gay men. No. In L.A. um, Sure. Yes, other places. Sure. Um, And I wish, I really do wish I had the sort of confidence to not care ever. But I will say that there are even places, I mean, like, a couple years ago. We were talking about the West Village earlier. My boyfriend and I were holding hands in the West Village and someone spit at me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it. In New York City, even, it certainly exists. So less appearing feminine and more appearing because I feel like people more than ever are okay with people being gay, but not in a in a sexual way. They're sure. good with Cam and Mitch. You know what sure. I mean? Like they're good with just this presentation of like two guys who live together, but but I don't and I think but people are generally more comfortable with two women being together than two men because it's the male gaze and it's a fantasy for men, whereas right. the, two guys holding hands is a guy's worst fear and that and that these two guys are gonna jump me and what? You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then also, I mean, if we take if we remove the male gaze and we talk about like what really queer women look like, uh, probably those people are not on television. Right. Why would you put those people on television? Yeah. Except for Cami Esposito. Exactly. Squeaking through with her one long side. You made it through the cracks. With her one long side of hair for years, (laughs) just like trying to be like, is this long enough? Yeah. But I have to say, growing up, did you ever think in a million years that you would have a career where your sexuality was a part of that and that you weren't hiding it? Growing up, I always thought this will always be a burden that I will always have to hide this. And- it, it's what gave me a career. That's wow. That's such a good. Yeah. No. I mean, I when I figured out I was gay, I would. I mean, to me, I lost my entire culture. Like, I like I was really so into Catholicism as like a cultural identity. Right. Like everybody I knew, I didn't. I didn't ever go to public school, so I literally had like no friends who weren't Catholic. Like everybody that I knew was in that was in this same mindset where it was literally like, okay, so you're choosing to go to hell, and like. I can't even be around you kind of a thing. Yeah. And also um, there was such such little information involved for folks that I knew that there were a lot of 
health concerns that people brought up about for me. Um, like literally like HIV was on the table as something that like was, I know. I you're mean, looking, for, no, you're looking at me because for I, women, women I who sleep with women that, that, that right. So for a cisgender woman yeah. to sleep with a cisgender woman and to, to pass HIV between those people, they are literally at the lowest risk yeah. of any couple. Um, but like, that's how much information was available right. for the people that I was around. So I just mean like, you know, you're, you're taking all of that. And I was like 19 going through all of this stuff. So not like a kid, but a pre-adult, like launching into my adulthood. And then like, now I like tour the country with my wife. And like, I mean, I know. Oh, it's, it is. It's shocking. It's shocking. And I have to say, and I, I never take this moment for myself and I don't know how often you do, but it's, it really is something to be proud of. And it's, it's an, a huge accomplishment to, to, be, to be the thing that you were so afraid of being and now be successful with it is, I mean, Cameron, it's like a huge deal. Oh, my God. I would absolutely, I would absolutely push that back in your direction. The, that, I never thought about it that way. But, yeah, the thing that you're afraid of being. And, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Ugh, that's really cool. We're great people. I know. I I want to ask you one further question on yeah. what we were just talking about because I felt like we got somewhere really interesting and I just want to ask one more follow qual uh specific sticky question. So, you know, if you're somebody who's a who as a child is like pun punished for showing femininity, then like in your gender expression, does that affect you at all? So I don't just mean like holding your boyfriend's hand or holding or, you know, kissing your husband or things like that. But I just mean like, do you patrol yourself around yeah, uh, how you present or have you gotten through that? Well, what's interesting is I think you go through every minute from third grade through less so in college, but let's say third grade through high school, let's say seven to 18 you are aware of every move you're making. You are aware of every gesture, of every sound your mouth makes, and you are policing yourself. I mean, you are on patrol constantly, and you're lying all the time. You know what I mean? You're lying even just when you're doing your physicality the way you normally wouldn't. You're sitting in a way uncomfortably because you feel like that's the way you should sit, not with your legs crossed. You're lying and you're policing everything. And so, yes, I don't think that's shakable completely. Maybe when I'm 60, it will be. But yeah, there are times when I'm like, eh, I'm a little femme right now or whatever. Like, eh, I don't think I could get away with that. Like, that's kind of girly. Or like in Palm Springs, I go with my friends for the weekend and there's still a part of me where like, you know, and it's a group of um, gay men and we go for New Year's and stuff and, and they'll, you know, sometimes like fuck with makeup and put on eyelashes and stuff. And there is a part of me that is still so resistant to it. Because it's like the old guard. You know what I mean? And it just, I don't know. I think that's very hard to shed. And I definitely care way less about that than I used to. But there are times when it comes out and it's a shame because I, I, I wish it wouldn't. Yeah, but I mean, like you're saying, I mean, some of it is not even figuring out like, oh, this is something I need to work on. But more so just like, oh, this is like what my body carries with. Yeah. That, that like you're saying, you might not be able to shake off. Like we are we are, you're literally physicalizing something like that. Mm -hmm. You're, you're restraining your hands or things like that. Like, of course that's totally like literally how you learn to walk, you know, so yeah. it's going to absolutely affect you. Yeah. Well, I have, it's like years and years of playing a character or something. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. A Shakespearean character. <laughs> <laughs> years and years of playing. You're cool for, um, coming on and talking about all this stuff. I felt like this was, 
I mean, we have, it's we so have easy to talk to you. Casually known each other for years, yeah. but like, I love knowing more about your story. And I am so like proud of you oh, for being you. the person that you are. You too. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I, just before we head out into the rest of our days, I wanted to ask you if you wanted to shout out a queero. Oh yeah. Um, the, the, the person who sort of opened my eyes at, at the beginning and made me see the world a little differently was Sandra Bernhardt. And so forever and always she'll be mine. Yeah. Have you met her? I have, but I, this is what I'll say. I've kept my distance because other heroes I've met, it's it's like that saying, it's only a letdown and it never goes the way you want it to. So I have met her, but truly just to be like, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. And then I bolt because I just, I don't want it to. That's, that's also kind of the right thing to do sometimes yeah. when you have a very weighted relationship with totally. somebody. Because I mean, I'm sure you've been on the receiving end. And so have you, I was just going to say, <laughs> if you're somebody who has been on the receiving end, you know that, and it's not something that I, would ever stop or not want, but you can just see yes. in somebody's eyes like, oh, I'm very important to you and and I don't know you. Yeah. And so this is a hard interaction because I'm trying to be what you need, yeah. but I'm just a regular guy totally. that doesn't know you at all. And so it's just- And like we a, only have a minute. Exactly. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. like trying to give you the most meaningful handshake. I know. And- um. And I have been on both sides of that too. Like yeah. I have, you know, met folks that, that like that and it's- yeah, it's it's such an interesting experience to have. From I know, all the sides. I know. I literally, yeah, I'm like, hi, nice to meet you, bye, right. and then just fall apart <laughs> somewhere else. Well, Ryan Savi, you're awesome. Thanks. Folks should listen to Growing Shade, which is on Earwolf. It's on Earwolf as Earth. well. Yeah. Awesome. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. Today's episode of Query was sponsored by Everly Well. Sometimes it's really hard to stay up on your health especially finding time to get a lab test. Well, now it's easy to order the test you want at everlywell.com. Everlywell is an at-home test health testing company that offers a variety of physician-reviewed private tests from food sensitivity, metabolism, thyroid, to STD tests. No more sitting in waiting rooms or waiting on your results. Head to everlywell.com, use promo code QUERY to take 15% off your first order. Everlywell, your test on your time and on your terms. Hey guys, it's Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham here. If you haven't listened to Womp It Up, we've got all brand new episodes. They're airing weekly. Chances are there's about 20,000 episodes for you to listen to on your drive. We've got some of the best comedians in the biz on playing amazing characters. Casey Wilson. Rob Hubel. Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, Mary Holland. Nick Kroll. Ryan Husky. How about Andy Daly? And that's just to name a few. Please join us every week for a new episode of Womp It Up and watch as the Womplerverse expands before your eyes. Hashtag turn around. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nuts. <laughs> 
Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. Jesus. I mean, Jazos. (laughs) Ruler of the Eighth Circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 